You're listening to the audio ministries of First Baptist Church of Troy, Texas. You're invited to join us for live and in-person morning worship every Sunday morning at 1045 a.m. Visit fbctroytx.org for a list of our activity times and family-centered community ministries. Now here's today's message. Glad to see you. All right, so last week, how we got the Bible. I hope that was helpful to you. And um, I enjoyed it so much. Actually, this is really boring and kind of nerdy, but I've got this book that talks about all of the, you know, the weightiest manuscripts that we have that archaeologists have discovered. And I spent like an hour, I was like the whole morning on Monday just reading that. It was so fascinating and encouraging to me to go back and just remind myself of the quality of manuscripts that we have that scholars have been able to, you know, put these in our hands. And so it's uh, cool stuff. So today, though, Getting into the Bible and getting something out of it. Um, a lot of you, I know I've done this, have probably at some point in your life decided, you know, reading the Bible is important. I need to do that. And so you decided you'd sit down and uh, give it a try. Maybe you read the Bible for a little while and you stopped after a bit and said, you know, I have no idea what I just read. Now don't raise your hands, but how many of you have been there? Probably more than once. I know I have. Um, maybe a follow-up question or, or a statement, I just can't understand what it means. I, do, I just don't get anything out of reading the Bible. And maybe a struggle on for a chapter or so. Close your Bible, set it aside, go about your business, and maybe you don't read it for a very long time, and unconsciously you decide that reading the Bible is a waste of time because I don't get anything out of it. Now, we would never say that because we know that it's important. We know it's not a waste of time. We know we should get something out of it. But there's this unconscious little breaker in our brain that's like, click, power's not flowing to this part anymore because that wasted my time. I got nothing out of it. If that's been your experience, do not beat yourself up this morning. This is a let's learn to read the Bible and get something out of it uh, message, not a let's see how rotten we are because we haven't read the Bible in a long time message. So I just want to set you free at the very beginning. Everybody exhale real big, okay? It's not a how bad a person you are message today. We've all been in this spot one time or another. The good news is that you can move past that. And when you sit down to read the Bible, you can get something out of it. I promise you, I promise you, God wants us to know him. That's what the scriptures teach very clearly. He wants us to know how to live the life he's called us to live and to be able to do it. He's given us the Bible, which is the greatest tangible thing I can hold in my hand that will enable me to live the Christian life. This is it. This and the Holy Spirit who indwells every born again believer is what God has given us to live the Christian life. There is no auto setting where we're just like, click, and we just live for Jesus. It's something we have to grow into. It takes some time, some effort, discipline, some stick to itness, some perseverance. But if we're willing to put out the effort and use what God has given us, then we can open the Bible and he will open our eyes to the wonder of what is right here. So, as we open today, a question. Why should we read and study the Bible? Now, that may seem like one of those questions. It's like, why would you ask that, man? 
But it's a good question. Why should I dedicate time every day to reading this book? It's a good question. I came across this in my, in my reading. I, I'm going to have to turn around and read it off here because I don't have it in my notes here. The Bible was not written to satisfy your curiosity. It was written to transform your life. The ultimate goal of Bible study then is not to do something to the Bible, but to allow the Bible to do something to you so that it becomes tangent to life. Tangent to life is it's where two things come together. God wants the truth in the scriptures to, to come together with our life so that they meet. And when we come to the Bible, it is about transformation. It is about something I need to know that God has given me so that I can be who God wants me to be. That, that's what it's all about. And so this morning, I want to start real quickly with just three quick reasons that I think we should study and read the Bible. Number one, God's word in the Bible never changes. How many of you know, how many of you know this world changes? I don't even know what the latest statistic is on like, you know, the rate of knowledge doubles every like 10 minutes, five minutes, five seconds. I don't know. It's some crazy number. I mean, you want to know what change affects you? I have a lowly iPhone 6. I see the impact of technology change every time I try to use this thing. All right. It's like 14 phones removed from the new one, I think. But man, things are in such rapid flux and change. And you never know when you get up in the morning and if you get your news on the television or the paper or the internet or whatever, what crazy thing is going to have happened in our world. But this book, this book hasn't changed. And this book will not change. Look at this. All flesh is like grass. And the glory of the, and, and it's glory like the flowers of the grass. Flesh meaning people. Okay? The grass withers, the flowers fall off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Wow, people come and go, but this never changes. That's one good reason to read and study the Bible. Here's another one. It's useful for developing a Christian life. We, we looked at this passage last week. It's God-breathed, we learned last week. It came from God, given by Him. God spoke, men wrote, passed it down to us. But it's useful. It is useful for doing this, for training in righteousness. The Bible's like a coach. Man, it... It helps you know what you're doing wrong, what you need to do right, and how to do what God has given us to do. This is the most useful book in the world for being the man or woman that God wants you to be. It equips us for every good work. Here's another good reason. Number three, it helps us grow towards spiritual maturity. Check this out. First Peter, as newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow up to salvation if you've experienced the kindness of the Lord. The, the concept here, it's not that these people are immature because they haven't been growing. That's over in the book of Hebrews. That's a whole different context. This context, Peter's saying, hey, look, crave the word like a newborn baby craves milk. What does a baby, how do you, how do you, how do you know when a baby's hungry? How do they let you know? They cry. Hey, are we crying out to the Lord? God, would you help me understand this? Because I, I, I realized something from 1 Peter today in church. I got to grow up into my salvation. I got to grow up into who I am in Christ. I, I'm a born-again believer filled with the Holy Spirit, adopted. I, I, I'm, all, I'm seated with you in the heavenly places already, the scriptures tell me in Ephesians. I got to grow up into that. It's like, you know, put aside 14 
on a baby and saying, all right, grow into this. <laughs> okay, that baby's going to need some help. Well, you got a size 14 you need to grow into, and this is what you use. There's other things, but this is the main one. This is the main one. So today, we're going to look at a three-part Bible study method. If you struggle to get into this book and get anything out of it, this is your day. And I promise, if you will take note of this and do these things in time, you'll open the Bible and it'll be the exception that you don't get anything out of it rather than the rule. And that's a place where we all want to be. All right, so we're going to look at three. There's observation, there's interpretation, and there's application. Just three steps, okay? Now watch this. Let's start with observation. Observation answers the question, what do I see? I can remember when I was a kid, went squirrel hunting with my dad one time, and we were walking through this field and on down into the woods, and he sat me down by this tree, and he said, all right, sit right here. There's a squirrel in that tree just right over there behind us. And I'm like, I don't see any squirrels. He said, it's up there. When I leave, it's going to think we both left, and it'll pop out in a little while. You just keep your eyes open. And sure enough, about 15 minutes later, Little, little squirrel popped his head right out. And I'm like, huh, how did he know? You know what? He was observing the woods as he walked in. And I'm just like, you know, little ADHD brain walking in those trees. That's a leaf. Is that a caterpillar? He was observing things that I didn't even see. He chose to observe what he was looking for, what we came there to hunt. Okay? Observation is what do I see. And let me go back here just a second. I moved my page too soon. And my fingers are dry because it's wintertime and I can't grab the page again. It's one of those kind of things, right? All right, so this step is all about seeing what is in front of me. When I open this Bible, there are words in front of me. Observation is about seeing it. The more time we spend on this step, the better all the others will be. And I'll tell you, this is the most overlooked step in Bible study right here. Stopping to simply observe. So the most important thing to remember when you are coming to a biblical text and you're going to and you're going to start and you're going to observe it, slow down. Or as the kids say, slow your roll. Okay? If you've speed reading the Bible, you need to quit that business. Slow down. Because if you don't slow down, you can't see. I see more at 25 miles an hour than I do at 75 miles an hour. It's just the nature of it. So slow down. Don't read to finish. How many of you thought, I'm going to read the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to finish that book in a week. Hey, don't do that. Don't read to finish. Read to see what's there. You see the difference? If you read to finish, you'll go right over stuff. Read to see what's there and ask yourself this question. What do I see? The same guy I quoted earlier, Howard Hendricks, I, I heard him say one time, um, he said, you will do better if you will read for 30 minutes and then think about what you read for 30 minutes than if you read for a whole hour. You'll get more out of it. And so it's this whole idea of slowing down, read less volume, look for what's in front of me. Okay, so here's the question. What kinds of things am I trying to observe? Don't try to write all that down, but if you're into this, take a cell phone picture of that. That's just some ideas. What am I looking for when I read a biblical text? 
Who's the speaker? Is it a prophet? Is it God? Are they righteous? Are they unrighteous? Who's the audience? Who, who was Moses writing the book of Genesis to? The Israelites. Where? At Mount Sinai. After the Exodus. Man, that plays some serious uh, um, observation power in how you're going to interpret that book. What's the occasion for writing? Who are the people? What location? Where, where are they? Time of day. Key words, things repeated, commands. All of these different things we're trying to observe. What's there before me? Contrast, amount of content. You know, if somebody gives two lines to something versus 22 lines to something, which one is more important? Which one carries more weight? 22 lines, right? These are all things that we're trying to look for. Grammar, parts of speech. Some of you haven't done that since your senior year in high school. Or maybe at least composition one when you were in college, okay? Grammar, parts of speech, figures of speech, things about God. What kind of things about God can I observe from the text? Okay? Examples to follow, things emphasized. In observation, we are slowing down to look and to see what is there. Now, this is not that hard to do, but here's probably what will happen. You'll read a given verse when you try to do this, and you'll be like, I don't see anything there. How do I know? Because I sat down with a given verse this last week to go through these steps for myself. And I started looking at that and I was like, it's been a while since I've done this. <laughs> I'm going to have to remember how to ride this bicycle. And so you, you look at it and, and so you're slowing down and you just start with the first word and then the next word. And then, oh, there's a verb. Oh, wait, here, here's, you know, you just slowly, you read it, and then you reread it, and then you reread it again. You're just looking to see what's there. That's the first step, and it is extremely important. Step two, interpretation. Now, this is the one everybody wants to get to. What does this passage mean? Boy, what, what, is that, what is that stuff in Revelation, man? How do you interpret that stuff? This is the one everybody is most interested in, I think. But it follows observation. And I promise you that the more time you spend observing your text, the better job that you're going to do with this part of the process as you go to find out what it means. So this it asks a question, what does it mean? Another thought from Howard Hendricks. If we're going to have any hope of interpreting God's word accurately, we've got to start with a fundamental premise Meaning is not our subjective thoughts read into the text, but God's objective truth read out of the text. This is really important. A lot, and it's this old question, this old thing that you've probably heard or said yourself. Well, what it means to me is, and then you give some meaning. That's the wrong statement. The right statement is, the text means this. What I need to do with the meaning of the text is this and we'll get to application in just a minute but the question what does it mean looking a, a biblical text only has one single meaning now it might have different applications there may be different things i need to do in my life but a biblical text can only mean one thing it can't mean you know two plus two cannot mean equals four i mean that can only mean one thing it, it two plus two can't be seven 
It just doesn't work that way. The biblical text, it has a meaning. And we're looking to try to discover what is that meaning. And so most of the Bible is not that difficult to interpret, okay? Most of it's not. It might take a little bit of work, might take some digging, but it's not that hard to understand. Because remember, if God wants us to know him, and he does, and if he's given us the Bible as our tangible tool to know him, and he has, then why would he hide all of the meanings of biblical texts and these mysterious little file folders that we have to do and Indiana Jones to try to figure out? He wouldn't do that. And he hasn't. And I'm going to throw this out there, and it's a pretty bold thought, but I think it's accurate. A hundred percent of what the Bible says about how we should live an obedient, fruitful, joyful life in Christ is easy to understand. Now notice I didn't say a hundred percent of the Bible is easy to understand. But a hundred percent of those basic things that I need to know and understand so that I can please God is very easy to understand. Tell the truth. Do you need an interpretation? I don't. Do not steal things. Well, it's not yours. Leave it alone. Love one another as I have loved you, Jesus said. Okay, well, Jesus, here's kind of how you love me, so you want me to do that? See, our problem is not understanding what that means. It's doing what it means. And that's, I think, the thing what we run into the most is doing what God has made abundantly clear in the Bible is not the struggle we have, or uh, excuse me, let me read this again. That didn't work. Doing what God, I'm going to try this one more time because this is just not coming out the way I want it to. Oh, okay, yeah, here we go. All right. Doing what God has made abundantly clear in the Bible is the struggle we have, not interpreting what it means. That makes sense? That worked. It's a doing thing. It's a will I humble myself and obey God rather than a, I don't understand what God said. That's what most of it is, I think. Now, some portions of the Bible are challenging, but with enough study, they can really be understood if, if you're willing to dig in. And so how do we go about interpreting a biblical text? Okay, I want to walk through some steps here. Number one, interpret a passage literally unless there's a good reason not to. That's so important. We need to let the Bible say or mean what it says. Adam and Eve were real people in a real garden who met a real serpent, Satan, who told them some things. It's not just a made-up story. Noah built an ark that was one and a half football fields long. And God brought a bunch of animals to him, and they got on there just before God shut the door and sent the rain. That's not a made-up story. That's literal. Moses parted the Red Sea, the actual Red Sea. And there were literal walls of water as the people walked through on dry ground, and then Pharaoh's soldiers were drowned. That's real. Joshua and the boys shouted, and the walls of Jericho fell down. Now, you may be going, well, duh. But you know, there are a lot of people, and it's taught in some seminaries in different denominations that that the, that the stories in Genesis are made up to teach spiritual truths. Kind of like Hansel and Gretel. The elves and the shoemaker. Santa Claus. I mean, there are people who believe that. And so 
we need to interpret the Bible literally unless there's a very good reason not to. Now, you know what? Sometimes there's figurative language. Um, if you look at Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. Is Jesus a lion? Well, not a four-legged beast with a big shaggy mane. But that is a symbol of his majesty and his power. Israel is described as a vineyard in the Old Testament. Now, is, is Israel a literal vineyard with you know, grapes? And Well, no. But that's the symbolic of a fruitful nation that would bear fruit for God. Satan is depicted as a dragon in the book of Revelation. Is Satan literally a dragon? No. He was the most beautiful of all angels. If he walked in, you'd be like, oh, my goodness. What a handsome devil. Art, 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 art. Yeah, yeah. But the symbol of a dragon shows his destructive and violent nature. Okay? Now, the prodigal son, it's an allegorical story that teaches the nature of God's grace and forgiveness and, and man's sinfulness and need for mercy and grace. But, but if you go too far, and if you make certain things in the Bible symbolic or, or allegorical that are not supposed to be, you run into big, big problems. And so unless there's a good reason, interpret it literally. Here's the second one. Interpret a passage in its context. Okay, you start, take it literally, unless there's a really good reason not to. Interpret, look for meaning within the context of where it happens. Look at this. There are different kinds of context. There's a historical context. Where did this happen in history? That's huge. I'll give you an illustration in a second. Cultural context. What's the culture of these people? They're, they're not, you know, 2022 Americans. It's a different, different culture in a different time. The grammatical context. What are the words and the, the verbs and the, and the adjectives and the nouns? And what's the structure of everything going on in the grammar? Literary context. Where literary context is, is where is it found in relationship to everything around it? Okay? And so just some examples here. Historical context. This is fascinating. The book of Jonah. Do you know why Jonah got on that ship and went to Joppa instead of going to Nineveh? He didn't just like to disobey God. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian nation. And the Assyrians were destroying everyone. And Israel and Judah were in danger of being destroyed by the Assyrians. Now at this time in, in, in world history, the Assyrian Empire was at an all-time low politically and in power. And they were reeling from enemies that were coming in from all around them. And so they were weak. And you know that all the surrounding nations must have been going please someone destroy these people before they destroy us. And God says to Jonah, hey, Jonah, yes, Lord, I'd like you to go to Nineveh. And that's when Jonah's like, huh? And tell them, if they don't repent, I'm going to destroy them. He's like, if they don't repent, you'll destroy them. <laughs> I'm going to Joppa. That sounds like a great plan, God. Wipe them out. But you wouldn't know that if you don't know the historical context. That's fascinating. It brings the book to life. When you read that book and you realize who those people were and where they were, they were on the way out and God had mercy on them. And they were an atrociously wicked people, by the way. Violent in ways we just don't even imagine. 
and you see why Jonah didn't want to go, and at least we realize, okay, well, I get it. I see why. And so then Jonah on the ship, instead of like, okay, it's my fault. God, please forgive me. He says, dudes, chunk me in the sea. I'd rather die than go tell those people because I can die or my whole nation can die. I think I'll go. He, he's not planning on being rescued. He's, he's like, I'm going to die. Ain't no way I'm going to Nineveh. God's like, <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> Big fish swallows him. Try to, get, try to escape from the Lord. It's very hard to do. Jonah, but historical context, cultural context. What was the deal with the Jews and the Samaritans? Hated each other's guts. The Samaritans were left over from peoples that had been mixed in with the remaining Israelites who had been left after they had been destroyed. And so they were these kind of mixed ethnicity type of people. And the, and the Jews were like, mm-mm, you ain't got nothing here, buddy. And so they, oh yeah? Well, you don't have nothing. And so there's this long-standing cultural divide between these people. Context is huge when we're trying to interpret what a passage means, okay? And so one of the greatest interpretive mistakes people make is lifting a verse out of the Bible and trying to find out what it means just by itself. That is the fast track to faulty interpretations. And I really believe that, I don't have any empirical evidence on this, I bet 90% of faulty biblical interpretations happen because someone lifts it out of its context and tries to determine meaning without the rest of what surrounds it. You just can't do that, it won't work. We have to ask, what was being said to that original audience? What were they supposed to know? What did God want, God want them to learn and do? What is that literary, con what, if we, before and after, what, how does that help us? How does that help us find the meaning? The next step, if we look at interpreting in context, interpret a biblical passage with other biblical passages. This one's so important. Over in Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, there's this phrase that Paul talks about, and he says, hey, look, you were doing really well, but you're, you've fallen away from grace. And people lift that out of the Bible and say, hey, look, you can, you can fall away from God's grace. You can lose your salvation if you do enough bad stuff context will fix that false teaching because the apostle paul if you go a few verses before and a few verses after is telling them hey look you received salvation by grace through faith in christ plus nothing and now these people these judaizers have come in and said hey look dude i know you were saved by grace through faith in christ but you got to keep the old testament law man you're not going to get to heaven if you don't just do all of this old old testament stuff moses gave us and they're like, oh, well, great gravy. Oh, well, please let me. Give me a list. And they started trying to make sure they were going to heaven by keeping the Old Testament law. And, and so Paul writes to him and he says, hey, look, you, you don't do those things to get to heaven. You're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. You have fallen away from this teaching that you can only be saved by grace through faith. It has nothing to do with losing your salvation. And so the context right, right there just completely repairs that. But if you look in John 10, 28, Jesus says, I know those who are mine and no one will snatch them out of my hand. It's not going to happen. Are you no one? Yes. Now you're somebody. But 
You can't even snatch yourself out of Jesus' hand. So if I go and interpret Galatians 5, 4 with context and then with another verse, John 10, 28, it helps me understand that in no way does that passage teach that a human being who's trusted in Christ for salvation can then turn and lose what God has given them. Besides that, Ephesians 2, 6 says that we have been raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Did you notice that is past tense? It's done. God sees our salvation and our, even our seating with his son Jesus in heaven as a done deal. That sounds like something I can't lose. And it is. So when you interpret this verse with these verses and the context, you get the right meaning. Does that make sense? You see why this is so important? It's huge. The next one. Interpret the Bible using theologically sound resources. Hey, never, never, never Google what is the meaning of XYZ verse and start reading. That is the worst way to study the Bible. There is some crazy stuff out there. I promise you. Okay? Don't do that. Now, there's some, you can find some good stuff, but don't just Google it. That works for, you know, who's got the best deal on vacuum cleaners? That does not work on, you know, how do you study the Bible? Theologically sound resources. If you want some, come find me. I'll give you some, I'll, I'll, I'll give you some things you can check into. I'm not going to, you know, go through a bunch of them this morning. But there are good resources to study the Bible, and there's some really bad ones. Because believe it or not, not every biblical scholar believes in the integrity of this book. Not every biblical scholar believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. I saw an article just recently, and I'm not going to name the particular school because I'm not 100%, and I, but it was a major university in our country, and the chair of their theolo theological department is not even a believer. And if you need the documentation, I can get it for you later. But I read that and I read it again. I was like, how does that work? Hey, listen, not all resources are created equal. There are biblical commentaries where people have just gone verse by verse and they have described, they tell you, here's what's going on in this. Here's the background. Here's the culture. Here's the history. Here's some word mean, words that you need to know what this word means. Here's some key stuff. Those are fantastic. I have referenced many times from the pulpit up here, soniclight.com. A, 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 a professor up at Dallas Seminary named Tom Constable. His, it's free. Hundreds and hundreds of pages of biblical commentary. If you sit down with your Bible and you read and then you read, it will cause it to come to life, promise you. And it's not written on such a technical level that you're like, huh? It's fantastic. There are great study Bibles out there. First study Bible I ever had, my dad got for me, and my mom, they bought it for me, and it was a, Charles Ryrie, was a, he's since gone to be with the Lord, but wrote one of the early study Bibles with just notes down at the bottom, and they've gone through and said, here is what I think the key issues on this page are and things that people may not understand, and there's notes down there at the bottom. There's all kinds of great study Bibles out there. Concordances. If you don't have a concordance, get one. Because it has all of a particular word. If you want to know where is Jesus in the Bible, you just open up to Jesus. And it gives you every reference. Those are fantastic. 
You struggling with fear? Open up your concordance. Fear. Wow. Look at all these verses. Now I know where to go. Are you struggling with whatever? Are you having an issue in your life? And there's a key word. You just turn to it and you look it up. Bam. You know where to go in the Bible. I don't have this thing memorized. I use concordances. I promise you. Promise you. The next one. Interpret the Bible prayerfully, dependently, and humbly. Hey, when we sit down in front of this book, the first thing needs to happen is prayer. God, and it's something that I like to pray, is that, God, there are things here that I will not see if you don't show me. That's just it. I won't see it if you don't show me. Now, I've had theological training. I went to school for a long stinking time. <laughs> okay? I didn't think I'd ever get out. And I'm, I am not the cat's meow with the, as far as theologians go, but I'm not the dog's wolf either, okay? I'm somewhere in the middle. And it was a temptation for me sometimes to sit down with this book and just start working and not even ask the Lord to help me see. What a foolish thing for me to do. And so the first thing we need to do is pray. But you know what? We also need to have an attitude of dependence. You know, Lord, I'm going to depend on you, but there are a lot of great men and women throughout the years who have written a lot of great things. I'm going to consult some resources because I don't know it all. And then humbly, an attitude of, of reverence when we come to this book, an attitude of, of humility. God, this is your word. This sits in authority over my life. I mean, Hebrews 4.12, the, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to dividing even soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of my heart. God, this word sits in judgment on me. It is the deciding factor for how I should live, and I approach it with humility. The last step application. You observe, what can I see? And you're going to spend a lot of time there, okay? And then it's, okay, here's what I've seen. I can pull this together. What does it mean? And I've consulted my resources, and then I've prayed, and I've looked, and I, and I think I know what it means now. Application is the question, what do I need to do? If, if people want to skip observation and get to interpretation, they want to leave this one out altogether, but we haven't read the Bible or studied it appropriately until we have asked this question, God, here's what I read. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do today? It's action time. It's apply it to me. You know, when you were a kid, most of you probably got a bicycle. And you can, you can get a brand new bicycle and, and you can walk up to it and go, well, my powers of observation tell me that that looks like something I could sit on. And well, if I sat there, I'd, those look, I could probably put my hands on that. You know, and there's these flat things connected to these, to this disc. And there's a, you know what, I bet my feet go there. You know what, that's what it is. Here's what you do. You, you sit on this and you hold and, and you push off of something and, and you turn those things and it makes that bicycle and it connects here and grabs this and turns the wheel and that sends you forward. And this, it's not, stuck it moves and I could turn I could go right I could go left I, I could do all kinds of things on this thing that's that's awesome if you don't get on 
and give your observation and, and your interpretation some action, you'll never ride a bike. So my brothers and I did. We got bikes for Christmas one year. We, could, we tried to ride them, we couldn't, so we would just run them as fast as we could, let them go, watch them crash into the shed. How's that for brilliance? Some of you are going, now I know what's wrong with you, right? There was no application. Now, listen, you don't learn to ride a bike, you don't just get on and do it. You gotta try and try again and fall and try and fall and try and fall and try and fall and then, you remember that first time? And you're like, oh, I'm doing it, oh, oh, boom. And then you crashed into something, but you didn't care because you knew what it felt like to ride that bike and you got on it again, off you go. You know what? It's kind of how it is following Christ. We can observe, we can get meaning, but until we get on the bicycle and give it a try, we're not gonna be the people God wants us to be. Application is huge. Well, what, am I, what do you mean, Chris? What am I, what am I trying to do here? Titus 1.1, check this out. Paul, bondservant of Christ, for the faith of those chosen of, uh, of God and the knowledge of truth, which leads to godliness. What does this verse tell us the point of truth is in my life? To observe it? To know what it means? What's the point of truth? You can say it. Godliness! The point of this book is to lead us into a godly life. It's what it's for. It's riding the spiritual bicycle. That's why we have this Bible. Check this out. Application. Is there something to do? Take a picture of this. You need it. If you have a phone, take a picture of it. Is there a step of obedience? A response of faith? Is there something I need to change in my life? A relationship I need to address? A truth to accept? Is there a belief that I need to change? An example to follow? Is there a sin I need to confess? A sin to avoid? A habit to develop? Is there a promise of God that I need to claim and live in that reality? Is there a prayer to pray? Is there a praise to offer? And these are just some of the ways you can arrive at application. God, I've read your word today. What do you want me to do? Show me and I'll do it. If you and I read the Bible that way, things, things are gonna change. Things are gonna change. I'm gonna leave that up there for just a second in case some folks are still trying to get a photograph of that screen up there. Like I said, these are just some ideas for application. Let's wrap it up. What do you say? What do you say we get on the bicycle? You wanna go bike riding? All right, here we go. How many of you know this passage? Raise your hand. All right, how many of you have heard this passage? All right, good. Some of you aren't raising your hand, but it's like, I don't want to, right? All right. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't rely on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways and make your path straight, right? Many of you can quote that. So, let's see what we can do. This is the passage I sat down with earlier this week. I had these little legal pads. I find that the older I get, the more I like writing things on paper. I don't know what that means. Some of you are nodding. Some of you who are nodding look pretty old, so that tells me what I need to know. No, <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. All right, so... I, I, I wrote down five, 
Not, not the big legal pads, the little ones. Five pages of observations. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. When I got on the bicycle, I was like, oh, gosh. Whoa, tree, squirrel, stump. You know, it, was, it took me a minute. But when I got back into that rhythm, and I mean five pages of things, I just simply observed it. And I didn't get them all in one reading. I probably spent, I don't know, 30 or 40 minutes with just this passage. That's just, what, four lines of text. There were, and I've taught this before. I have memorized. I've quoted it. I don't always live by it, but neither do you, and so that's why I'm okay. So, but do you know what? I, I found things in this passage I had not seen before. I wasn't looking for meaning. I wasn't trying to apply it to my life. All I wanted to do is observe what's here. So you help me. What are you seeing? Okay. Oh, trust in the Lord is a what? The word will is not in front of trust, is it? Or will you, excuse me. Will you trust in the Lord with all your heart? That's not there. That's an imperative. That's a great observation. So we know that this is not a suggestion the Lord is giving us. So we're going to see that faith is a command. All right, what else? What do you see? What? You got to choose it. You're going to have to do it. You know, and that's a great observation. Trust in the Lord with all whose heart? Your mom and dad's heart. They were very close to the Lord. Oh, their faith was so strong. Trust in the Lord with all of your mom and dad's heart. No. Trust in the Lord with your preacher's heart. He is next to the Lord. Very close to God. I can trust with my, I call my preacher when I'm struggling with faith and I just trust with all my preacher's heart. No. You got to do it. I got to do it. I'm not riding your bicycle, and you're not riding mine. You have to trust God. Good. Awesome observation. What else? What do you see? You are, what? Great. I didn't come up with that until like minute 37. That's awesome. Your is repeated in every line. wonder what that means. Remember, things that are repeated, things that more weight is given to, you got a decision to make. You're going to have to decide, am I going to trust the Lord? What am I going to rely on? Am I going to acknowledge God? Okay, don't do it. So we had a positive command at first. Now we have a negative command. People, don't give me those negative commands. Well, just hush. God gives them to us. We need them. All right? Trust in the Lord. So you have a positive command. Then you got a negative command. Here's a, here's a do. Here's a don't do. Remember 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17? All scripture, God, read the useful teaching, re teaching, rebuking, correcting, training. Tells you where you're wrong. Tells you how to get right. Great example. What else? What are you seeing? Whoa, whoa, what? Wait, right here and then in the back? Okay, all your heart. Yes, that, that all. I don't even know what part of speech that is, but it qualifies your heart, doesn't it? Yeah. Trust in the Lord with some of your heart. Trust in the Lord when your heart feels like it. All of your heart. I'm going to get here and then I'll go there. Yes, yeah. Be believe and trust are very closely related. Yeah. I, if, I don't if I don't believe you, I sure ain't going to trust you, right? All right, well, who's, who's right? Karen. It's a if-then. If I do this, then I will do this. 
Oh, conditional promise. What is up with that? Very good. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and he will do something. He will make your path straight. What else do you see? What, okay. We're commanded to acknowledge. What does it mean to acknowledge God? Hello, Lord. Good to see you today. Thanks for coming. Tip your hat to the Lord. Okay. I know something about the Lord. He's done everything for me. So acknowledge is going to be one of our key words that I'm at least going to get out my dictionary. Because acknowledge is one of those words that we're like, yeah, I know what that means. Not really. It, we don't know it as well as we think we do. An English dictionary, by the way, is a valuable tool. Or at least Google definition, acknowledge. But it just so happens that this word right here carries the force of acknowledging God with a view to do whatever he tells me to do. That's the force of that word. So that's a great observation. What else do you see? He will. It's a promise. If I trust the Lord with all my heart, if I refuse to rely on my own ability to understand how all this is going to work out, if I acknowledge him, Lord, I'm here. You're God and I'm not. And I'm doing what you say. He says, very good. Promise you I'll make your path straight. What else? What do you see? Gary. Yeah, he's mentioned three times there. Good. Observing those pronouns with about the Lord. Do you notice anything about in line one, the Lord is in those all caps? What does that mean when you see that? Because it's not always spelled that way. The divine name, Yahweh. When you see those all caps, that's not Adonai, which is Lord. It's not any of those other, it's, this is when Moses said, uh, who should I say uh, sent me? God says, you tell him I am that I am sent you. I'm the one who was and is and is coming. Jesus said in, in Revelation. Yeah, it's a divine, it's the covenant name, Yahweh. And so all of the weight of the covenants rest on that name. Ooh, it's big stuff. What else? What do you see? Yeah, mm-hmm, yep, so now you're digging into some other scripture passages that, that help bring some more meaning here. Okay, yeah, the word heart. Is that this blood pumper? Probably not. Yeah, so then you're gonna say, well, what does he mean by heart? What does that mean? Is there something in this culture that that word communicated to, to them something interesting? It just so happens that there is. It's, it's the very core of who I am. It's the place where my will and my decisions and my emotions live. It's kind of the why behind what I do in life. God says, you trust me from that place. The seat of your decision making it's the it's the it's the chair in you where your decision making sits yeah that's really good so heart more than a blood pumper there's something there god says the place from where all of your decisions in life come trust me there man so then you start facing things in life 
And you're like, okay, man. What else? What are you seeing? This is good. Y'all are doing incredible. Yeah. A coordinating conjunction. Yeah. It puts things together. The English teachers are going, hoo, 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 hoo. right? Yeah. And trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. How many of you know you go through things in life that you don't just don't understand? Don't understand why? Don't understand how it's going to work out? You have no clue. But God says, do not lean on that. You may as well lean on a Capri Sun straw. You're going to fall over. Don't do it. He says, you lean with your heart on me. Yeah, good. What else? Ray. He'll tell you where to go. Yep. I find it easy, interesting, too, that on it's straight paths. He didn't say easy paths. Well, that's a little different. God never said, trust in me with all your heart, nudge me in all your ways, and I'll make your life simple. I'll make your life easy. I'll make it all dovetail, and it'll all make sense. He never said that. He said, I'll make your path straight. So we're going to also want to say, well, what is a straight path? What does that mean? Okay? Now, do you begin to see all we're doing is observing? How many of you have learned something from this passage today that you just never thought of before? Good. This is the process. And from your observations, you're going to write these down. So you're going to change the way you do quiet time from now on. You're going to get you a yellow legal pad, especially you old folk. No, I'm kidding. Right? You middle-agers and up. Get a yellow legal pad. You tech-savvy kids, get one of these or something. Okay? But you're going to write down your observations. And you're going to look back through them. Because that is going to be the vehicle that takes you to meaning. What does this mean? Okay? And then you start saying, well, here were my observations. I observed the word acknowledge. I don't exactly know what that means. I got to do a little study on that word. I've observed that your is used four times. The references to the Lord are used three times. God said he would make my paths straight. He didn't say to make all my paths straight, though. So maybe when I do lean on my own understanding and I don't trust the Lord and I don't acknowledge him, he might not make that path straight. You write these down, and then you start looking for meaning, okay? What does it mean? And then when you get meaning, then you're ready to say, God, what do you want me to do? And the Holy Spirit says, you know that thing you've been worrying about? And you're like, yeah, quit. And you're like, is it that easy? He's, yeah. From the place where your decisions sit, why don't you decide to walk out of your door today in faith and know that I'm for you? And then I love you. And I'm with you. And I'm going to make your path straight. If you'll just trust me, look for my will with a heart to do it. Yeah, I promise you I will make your path straight. I won't erase all the consequences of your bad decisions. It's just reality of it. I, I'm not going to go undo things for you. But I'll be with you. And from this point forward, we'll go straight. And we'll walk well. And you'll glorify me and you'll find joy as you walk in obedience and in faith to me. When well, we almost had a sermonette from just doing observations on this passage that we've all read before or heard somewhere. I promise you, if you'll do this, 
it will change the way you read the Bible. No, I'm not going to tell you. It's not easy. I still come to texts. Harlan and I kick texts around. Sometimes we're like, uh, that looks really good. That looks really, I know that's not. These two, eh, eh make a decision and ride the bike. There's, it's not that e- it's not going to be easy. But you ever heard that expression that nothing worth doing is, is ever easy? You know, build a house of cards, that's not hard. Go build a real house. That is hard. And I've never built one, but people tell me it's tough. Okay? It takes time. It takes commitment. It takes some energy, some elbow grease. But if you'll do it, it'll change the way you read the Bible. And it will change your life. Because you remember at the very beginning we said, the Bible is not just something I want to come to to fiddle with it. It's something to which I come for transformation, to be changed by it. And God hasn't hidden truth under bushes everywhere. And he's not playing hot and cold with us either. He wants us to know if we will have the heart to mine it out of the ground, he'll show us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. It's all we need, Lord, for life and godliness. It's all right here. If we will just put our heart to dig to it, Lord, to dig into it, to study it, to read it, even to memorize it. God, would you help us to be faithful with this book? You have given it to us over the centuries. It has been preserved miraculously and marvelously so that what we have in our hands is the inerrant record given by you, Lord, inspired by you without fault for us to know who you are and how you want us to live. What a treasure. God, help us to treasure it every day of the week and to get into it and to learn from it and do what it says. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, what do you need to do? That's the question as we close out today. I'm going to sing a song. I don't know that we will have the words on the screen. Some of you may know it, but just listen. Hum hum or sing along if you know it. This is a time for us to say, God, what do you want me to do? If this morning when I started, you were like, you know, man, that hits me. I don't read the Bible. I do feel like it's a waste of time. What do you think God wants you to do? There's a belief that needs to be changed. And there's truth that needs to be accepted. Are you willing? Maybe you beat yourself over the head with a two-by-four because you have not been faithful with the Scriptures. Well, start being faithful today. It's okay. Start now. What does God want you to do? Harlan's going to come, and we're going to sing together. As Chris plays and as he sings during this time of invitation, I'm just going to ask you... uh, Uh, just to bow your heads and to ask that question of God. God, what do you want me to do? And then act upon it. If you don't act upon what he wants you to do, you cannot expect a blessing. You cannot expect the straight paths. You've got to act upon it. And it may be to recommit your life, to start reading Scripture, 
to get back into the Bible or to get into it for the first time. It may be to get back on the path that God wants you to walk. It may be to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It may be to become a member of this church. What is it He wants you to do? You do it during this invitation time. If you just bow your heads and just ask God, and then whatever God's ailing in your heart. If you need to come, you come during this time. We'd like to personally thank you for taking the time out of your day to hear our latest message. Do us a favor and send an email to outreach at fbctroytx.org to let us know that you heard us and what you thought of the message. Remember to visit fbctroytx.org to learn more about how we support our local community. Again, thank you for listening.